listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mades. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That way you don't miss out on all the cool stuff that we're posting, but also the cool stuff that we're doing, things like Stiff's Night Out, which was last Saturday. And I'm not kidding, starting this podcast off with some hyperbole, but it's it's. But I'm being serious. It was probably the best Stiff's Night Out we have had, at least since I've been with, with the site. Um, and, and I'd like to think probably the, big, the, the biggest and best one ever. I would guess several hundred, probably 200 people at the Celtic on market, all diehard Nuggets fans, people interacting. I think the fact that it was a Saturday game, made people a little bit people put their hair down so to speak a little bit more so it was fun I always personally enjoy these because it's an opportunity to be in a room watching the game I mean Nuggets score in the first possession and everybody's screaming like it you know uh, like it's game seven of the finals or something so it just makes for a really fun atmosphere but then you know you see people interacting people meeting each other everything going on Rocky shows up the Denver Nuggets dancers a couple of the of the Denver Nuggets dancers show up uh altitude was there so you saw on the broadcast that uh, they were cutting live to us the feed unfortunately was a little bit choppy but it was cool to kind of get some love from from Hastings and Marlowe on the broadcast and and cool to see people get to be on TV for for that so it was a great time really 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 good time um we might do one you know knock on wood if the nuggets make the playoffs we probably will do at least one maybe two for the first two road playoff games so keep your ear to the ground for that. I think a lot of people will be will be wanting those because they really do just make for such a fun atmosphere. This episode of the show is going to be on the win, of course, over the Clippers. And just my note bag, if you never listened to the show before, I do notes. I don't recap the game. I share kind of my insights into the game. And then a little bit later on, I'll be looking ahead to the matchup with Portland. I think the best way, just to kind of tease, I, I the Nuggets are playing their best five-game stretch of the season. It's their first five-game winning streak of the season. Um, they had a four-game winning streak earlier, but not a five-game. They have a five-game now, and I think they're only halfway there, quite frankly. Their next two games, I think, will be harder than any of the five that have come in this stretch. And it's not necessarily – I think Minnesota – is that good of an opponent that to go on the road and, and, and try to win that one will be really tough no matter what. Um, but the Portland one, same thing. There's a psychological, um, not barrier, but a psychological, uh, yeah, I guess barrier for the Nuggets to overcome playing against them, um, in part because they have Damian Lillard, who's this sort of very clutch closer, but also because of obviously Yusef Nurkic and the way that they run the pick and roll. So I'll get into that here in a little bit. But let's start things off. My first note in here is a negative one. A lot of positive notes. I, I didn't. I didn't plan out the show to start negative, but my first one's negative. Denver's been pretty bad in transition over this this last ten game stretch or show or, or so. Um, defensively, I think they've taken a big step forward in, in some of these wins, especially in key moments. Their defense has stepped up and looked pretty adequate to even slightly better than that in, in spots. But one area where they still really struggle, especially early in games, is with transition defense. And early in this game, there were two or three plays where uh, Denver just didn't get back and match up. Now, I think some of that is just team team defense and, and guys being committed on that end of the floor to getting stops. But I think part of it, is that you know you watch some of the good defensive teams and they have like this like one hound like w one guard who just hounds the opposing point guard in transition and I don't I don't see Denver have that guy too often they they have it after made baskets where they can go get set 
But in transition, you don't see that sort of hawk that that finds the ball handler and goes and just gets in his way to make make him take an extra second bringing the ball up court or more, sometimes more. Like Patrick Beverly's this guy when he's healthy. He's so good at like you're not going to get a fast break on me because I'm going to make you get the ball out of your hands. So Denver, I think, doesn't have that guy, and maybe it's something they can develop um, with Torrey Craig next season, but their transition defense, I think, has not been so good. It took one of the storylines, a positive note here, one of the storylines in this game is that the ball was popping. I can actually say this with confidence in this one. I don't think I – this was the most the ball has been popping, I think, in, in a month, uh, maybe a month and a half. And part of that, I think, was the Clippers' defense wilted in, in certain parts of this game. When As Denver built a lead, I thought the Clippers – kind of started planning their vacation but a lot of credit goes to the Nuggets offense there were some really great possessions in this one where there was uh, five six seven passes in a row and and led to wide open shots you know it took about four minutes by my count for the Nuggets to kind of get their footing they missed some shots there were some good offensive possessions that just didn't that weren't fruitful but then they got going on an 18 to 4 run about four minutes into the game and that's when things really opened up and when the Nuggets looked as good offensively or started to look as good as they had at any point and that's and that's kind of the biggest note I'm going to talk a lot more about this but that that was kind of the start of what we call Jokic ball I don't even know if we can call it Jokic ball because he's obviously a triple double and seeing the assist numbers up I think is very encouraging because assists for Jokic I think are more important than points just in, in terms of uh, raw barometer for how the team is doing but his assists were up and, and it wasn't just him the whole team just passing and moving so well and reading each other so well I think you really get a sense for th- how this chemistry has developed since Paul Millsap has returned. Another big note in this game was the foul rate. I've talked about this a lot, but I haven't really gotten into the numbers with it yet just yet. But in this game in particular, the Nuggets have just picked up a habit recently of fouling way too much. And I saw somebody talking, uh, commenting either on Denver Stiffs or on Twitter or something like that saying, well, foul rate doesn't matter. There's no correlation between foul rate and, and a successful defense. And I actually disagree with that. Well, first of all, it's one of the four factors, but but it's not foul rate. It's opponent free throw percentage because there are smart fouls to take, but fouling jump shooters or fouling so much that you get the other team into the bonus quickly are both two things that are directly correlated to opponents um, – to, to your defensive efficiency so Denver it's not necessarily about how they how they foul but how frequently and who they're fouling in this game in the first half the Nuggets were outshot from the free throw line 29 to 14 the, the Clippers took 29 free throws in that first half now in the second half Denver cleaned it up and it's no coincidence that Denver also pulled away uh in the second half but you know, putting them on the line 29 times and a half is just way too many for, for any team, and Denver has kind of got a nasty habit of that early in shot clocks, putting teams in the bonus so that the defense has a harder time not fouling. This is something Denver's been really good at, by the way. As bad as they are defensively, they've rebounded well, although their rebounding has fallen off significantly over the last like six weeks or so. But they also just haven't given the other teams a lot of free throws. They've given them a lot of layups and a lot of wide-open threes, but not a lot of free throws. So that's one area where Denver their defense has looked better but in moments like that first half 29 free throws it's the only reason Denver wasn't up by by 15 20 points in the first half is because they got 20 something points out of free throws in in that first half Will Barton's shot is really looking good another note here 
I think the storyline <laughs> I've been looking at like net ratings of different players on the team. There's four guys on this Nuggets roster that I think are really five if you had Will Barton, but four guys that y- you look at as sort of the core most important guys. I-, I would say in order, the most important guys on the Nuggets roster are Nikola Jokic, Paul Millsap, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Jamal Murray kind of right there equal. They're both incredibly important. But the point I'm trying to make here is you take Gary Harris out of the lineup, and one of the things that I think the Nuggets offense has struggled with in every game besides this one is just having guys that can knock down three-point shots. And in this game, you had um, Will Barton on fire. You had Devin Harris has been making his shots. You wouldn't guess it. Real quick, I'm going to throw a trivia out for everybody listening. Devin Harris over his last ten games is taking 4.3 three-point attempts per game how many what percentage do you think he is shooting the answer is 37 percent which really surprised me I would have guessed like 33 32 percent I think he's just been so on fire over these last few games that that number has gone up but you know that kind of efficiency is really important and if you think Gary Harris is such a reliable three-point shooter that with the amount of looks that Denver is getting but just kind of hitting them at just a good enough average to get to get by you put Gary Harris who can shoot 42 43 percent and I just think the Nuggets offense goes to a whole other level. Looking at these net ratings, it's insane. You know, Millsap, Jokic, Gary Harris, you just put those three guys together. They barely played, only 460 minutes. They have a plus 10.7 net rating, which means every 100 possessions, they outscore their opponents by 10.7. Just those three, you know, doesn't matter who, of all the different combinations they played with, that's how much they're outscoring people. If you throw Murray into the mix, it becomes 12.8. So you're talking about your four best players, and you play them all together at the same time, and they absolutely murder as much as almost any five-man unit or four-man unit beats people. That's how, how good that four-man unit is. And really, they hadn't even got their footing. You just look at the chemistry between Millsap and Jokic after the last six weeks. It's taken them six weeks to kind of get to this point, and their chemistry is very, very good. Well, we haven't even had that much time with Murray, Harris, Millsap, Jokic. And if we did, I really think – I mean, I couldn't be higher on that, that foursome of players. And I actually think if you throw Will Barton into the mix – they haven't played enough minutes, by the way, with that combination – Maybe if Millsap was healthy all year, they would have found it. But I think Barton and Wilson Chandler, obviously great too, and the net rating with those five is incredible. But with Will Barton, I just think you have so you have three elite shooters from outside, all three guys that can put the ball on the floor in a DHO or in a pick and roll, and then you just have two elite passers and playmakers and high IQ bigs. That that unit is just so effective offensively, so good defensively. We were robbed not to get it, but I feel so confident in it. So if Denver can somehow sneak into the eight seed, or I guess they can't get the eight seed. They'll either be the ninth, fifth, sixth, or seventh, with most the highest probability being on ninth and seventh. So if they can sneak into that seventh seed, I even though it's the Golden State Warriors, and of course they should and rightfully will be huge underdogs in that series, I just would hope to see four, five, six games of those five guys, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, uh, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic. If for nothing else, if those five guys can go toe-to-toe with anything that uh, that Golden State can throw out there and at least look like uh, a team that makes them work, you know, that might change the calculus for how, for how you handle Will Barton this summer. So I'm so curious to see it, um, but I, I worry we won't get a chance to. I want to highlight a possession in the in the third quarter, about six minutes to go, halfway through the, the third quarter, which to me was the backbreaker. And they actually highlighted this on the Altitude broadcast, if you caught it. Um, 
they worked about a minute of time off the clock because there were two offensive rebounds, 11 total passes, two resets, and just a lot of patience. And what happens is you got to pick and roll with, I think, Jokic and Murray, and you get a shot, doesn't go in, you get an offensive rebound. You bring it out, you, you work it again, you get another shot, offensive rebound, and you bring it out, and it looked like no, that Denver was going to force just like for, for whatever reason, I think it's human instinct to sort of want to rush a shot after you've missed two in a row, even if you get the offensive rebound. And there was a moment where it looked like, OK, Denver's going to take a B minus shot off of an offensive rebound. Instead, they pull it out, play another 20 seconds off the clock. So the clock is winding all the way down and get a wide open Will Barton on the wing for a three. It's a, took up a minute of clock when Denver was already up like 12. You get a three-pointer, so now you're up 15. You made them work for a minute. It was just such a demoralizing play, and it was such a perfect example of how this team, I, I wrote about this last week, patient aggressiveness. They all were aggressive looking for shots, but they weren't settling and they didn't panic. And when you make a team defend for 20 seconds, you usually get an A-A minus A or A-plus shot. If you make them work for 60 seconds, you almost always get an A-plus shot, which is what they got. Will Barton wide open on the wing, uh, and he knocked it down. It was awesome to see. You know, Lou Williams being off in this game obviously helped. There was a big moment in the third quarter where Denver was up big and they were starting to make a run. Lou Williams gets the ball on the right wing wide open, and he airballed it. So not just not just off, but an airball. I thought Trey Lyles had a couple of bad uh, bad fouls in that third quarter and a couple of just, just bad missed reads. Um, the second unit... One of the stories for this Nuggets is that that second unit, especially at the end of the third quarter, has been very susceptible to collapses. For whatever reason, they just are really susceptible to giving up big runs. And in this game, they actually did that. It, the Nuggets were just up 19, thankfully, that you don't really notice. But they went from up 19 to up 12, including uh, allowing the Clippers to get a 2-for-1, I think 5-0 run to close out the third quarter. And these, these possessions are the ones that I'm talking about where they just really kill you. Fortunately, the Clippers... Not as good as Portland or Minnesota are going to be, but you can't that that second unit can't give up big runs at the end of the third quarter. They have to be extra dialed in defensively, extra patient on offense, and just not allow those types of runs. Because if Denver is up, for example, 12, 13, 14 points on Portland with two minutes to go in the third, you need to go into the fourth quarter up 12, 13, 14 points because Damian Lillard is as good of a closer as there is. Teams are going to go to the pick and roll in the fourth, which Denver has struggled with. You want that extra cushion, and the same is true for Minnesota. Denver had a big lead against them early in the year when Jimmy Butler went off, first with Jeff Teague and then Jimmy Butler. So you can't afford to give up. I don't think Denver's going to be up by 19 points on either Portland or Minnesota. It's possible, but just unlikely. So you have to be able to hold on to, if it's a four-point lead, you have to be able to hold on to that. If it's an eight-point lead, 12-point lead, whatever, you got to hold on to that. Torrey Craig had a, a, a peak. I call him crash. He had a peak crash moment in the, the start of the fourth. It was like the first or second offensive possession or defensive possession. It was a great rotation by him. I think DeAndre Jordan gets the ball in the post. He gets doubled by somebody else, and he turns to throw a sort of cross-court kickout pass. Well, um, Torrey Craig, through sheer effort and just anticipation, runs and blocks that pass. It wasn't really a steal. It was more like he attacked DeAndre Jordan at the point of where he was either going to shoot or pass and just got a tip, got a deflection on the ball, turns into a turnover. He gets the ball on the break, and he gets a nice drop off to Plumlee. A four- or five-point swing in the fourth quarter, and it was just huge. And those are the types of plays Torrey Craig makes three or four times a game. It's incredible. 
he is he is so elite at staying in his lane offensively. You rarely are like, what is Torrey Craig doing? He's dribbling too much. He's shooting too much. Whatever. You almost never think that. But three or four times a game, he makes plays like this, and they just absolutely swing. You know, if you, the Clippers collapsed, I thought in that fourth quarter, they kind of lost their will, and they probably don't do it if it's not for plays like this. When when you're when you have an opportunity to score and you blow it, that's so much worse. Uh, you know, it's mentally, it's so much more um, deflating. And then I mentioned earlier Devin Harris. He's been so good. I think one of the reasons teams don't like to bring over players, you know, big key pieces at the trade deadline is it's so hard to get acclimated. We're seeing with this with Paul Millsap. If you get a training camp, I think you can come out with a, that window of learning is a lot smaller. If you come over at the trade deadline, it's a lot harder to kind of get acclimated to what a team's doing, the terminology and all this stuff. Well, I think after six weeks, Devin Harris is – He's finally acclimated to the team, and he looks to me like uh, a missing piece. He looks like a piece that they absolutely needed. I mentioned the 37% from three. He's hit some big ones, by the way, over the last two games. Um, but he's just he's running pick and roll so well, primarily with Mason Plumlee because that's who he plays with. But he's had a couple nice passes to Nikola Jokic in the pick and roll, and I've said this enough. When you hit Jokic on the pick and roll, when he's rolling to the basket, Nuggets score probably 1.2 points per per possession so it's they're just so effective when they're able to do that my final note here and it, it on on this game very encouraging game in so many ways the, paul Millsap is shooting 37 percent from three over his last 10 games it, it feels like he averages one air ball a game i was surprised by 37 i again for him as well i would have guessed 33 34 um it doesn't matter if he air balls everything except for the ones he misses it doesn't matter uh 37 is great for a power forward um, but it, it is kind of funny. It is kind of striking how when he shoots it, I either feel like it's in or it's really, really, really off. So all in all, great game for the Nuggets. This was a huge win, and I think they needed a blowout. Um, it was fun to watch a sort of semi-blowout in the company of lots of other Nuggets fans. It was such a happy and fun and friendly environment. Um, but I think Denver also sort of needed a game like this just for as a confidence booster. Um, you look at Barton and Murray both. I, I didn't mention Murray enough in this game, but he was really over the last several games, he's done such a good job of running the pick and roll as a scorer. He's comes off of that screen and is able to knock down that mid-range. I think in tomorrow's game against Portland, that mid-range shot from the free throw line is going to be so important because of how Portland defends it and because of how Denver is going to be able to attack the offensive glass. The offensive glass, the Denver has struggled on, uh, uh, they, they haven't, um, actually, the offensive glass they've been able to maintain. It's the defensive glass that they've really gotten killed on. But teams like Portland tomorrow, fifth in the league in defensive rebounding percentage. But if you can draw Nurkic an extra step away so that if you if you turn the corner on the pick and roll and you knock down two or three mid-range shots in that first quarter, all of a sudden Nurkic steps out a little bit further on that pick and roll and it opens up for offensive rebound opportunities. So I do think Murray has been hitting that shot lately, and I think it's a really important shot for the Nuggets offense. I'm going to bring in two of my good friends from around the potosphere. <coughs> you can't see them because we're doing this via Skype, but seated to my right from the On the NBA podcast with Dave Dufour. It's Dave Dufour. Hello. There you Welcome. go. That's what I was oh, looking wait. for. That's what I say to people. Hang on. Hi. Happy to be <laughs> on Locked on Nuggets. <laughs> there, you, there you go. And then I also brought in an enemy, a friend, a friend of me. 
<laughs> representing the Portland Trail Blazers. He is uh, part of Blazers Edge. He also is on a really cool program that I'm very jealous of him on, on NBC Sports Northwest Blazers Outside Facebook Live show, which is really, really cool. It's Dan Morang. Hey, you're showing me short here. We're simulcast on Facebook Live. We're, we're a TV show. TV show simulcast on yeah, I, I see I did sell and, so and radio. We're everywhere now. You got you got everything going. But I brought you guys in. You literally cannot escape Dan if you're in Portland. Yeah. That That's... was always the goal is to set up the world's largest like fish net for the Blazers and then expose myself. It's like dreadlock dreadlocks in a bonga line. You can, you can't escape it if you're in Portland. It <laughs> <laughs> will just follow you along. Um no, but I, I'm bringing you guys on because this is, for the Nuggets at least, the most important game of the season. And it's funny, I was talking to my good buddy Matt Moore about what would be the most painful way for the Nuggets to get eliminated this season. And number one was definitely the Portland Trailblazers in the second to last game of the season. Um, wow, this feels eerily similar. Didn't we have this conversation It was like a week year? before. There was like four games after that. You know, this one... It's actually the nail in the coffin. That one was more of a symbolic nail in the coffin. Um, but I want to ask you, Dan, first, just kind of take us through where Portland's at, because I know they've lost a couple in a row now. Lillard got hurt. Just what is Portland's status coming into the game tomorrow? Man, if I knew, I'd, I'd tell you. Because after winning 13 in a row, yeah, they're 4-6 and six in the next 10. Yeah. Like, it is so up and down. Yeah, there's been injuries. Maurice Harkless, who's been – more important than I ever thought possible, yeah. which is crazy to me considering where he came from the beginning of the season. Ed Davis is out, but he'll be back for Denver, so lucky you. <laughs> um, Dane made his return against the uh, Spurs. How did he look? And he balled out. Yeah, he looked great. Uh, a little rusty for eh, ball handling. Tur- turned the ball over Turned the ball lot. over. But he was 6-12 from three. Okay. Dropped 33. Yeah. Very, very Dame-esque. Um, but as far as where Portland's at, man – They've had long stretches of games over the last 10 where they just check out. Yeah. And very much like the beginning of the season and not like that two-month run where they were just world beaters. So they hit a hot streak, but you would say that hot streak is over and they're now in a new a new phase of their season. Not necessarily cold. It's mediocrity. But, but yeah, they're not on the hot streak. Okay. Um, Dave, I'll ask this one of you because this is – as much as there's X's nose involved in this game and injuries and, and what have you – Gary Harris is out. How would you rank the top three most, like you're betting your life on these guys to come through in this game, players that are in this game? So going through both rosters, you had to bet your life on one of these guys to win the game for a team. Who would, what would be your top three? Both rosters? Yeah, going through both rosters. Dame Lillard. I mean, and that's one. kind of the point. I was. Uh, the, I, I want to yeah. hear your other ones, but the, the point is, Damian Lillard is so easily the number one guy you would bet on in this for like somebody's going to have a forty point game. Who is it? Oh, it's probably Lillard. Yeah, and then I'd go McCollum. <laughs> um, I mean, that's the thing is like, I mean, uh, Dan and I've talked about this a little bit recently, but like McCollum has had a down year shooting, and uh, especially lately. And you know, if he, but if he refines that stroke, I mean. He's almost as dangerous as Dame. Um, and so I guess that's one and two. And three, you know, I, I mean, Jokic. Is, come on, give it to him. Jokic has come on, especially <laughs> lately with the with the scoring. Um, I still, I think Jamal Murray's got a little bit of that in, in yeah. him. Um, I, I mean, he's, this year he's shown up in some big moments and he's put up, uh, you know, some big buckets. Um, he's not big buckets 
Gary Harris, but uh, the Garrison. I, I want that to be his nickname, Big Buckets. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you know uh, it's a distant third, but Jokic is probably the third guy. See, I, I might even go Millsap and just because he's an established guy who's been in these situations and everything. I mean, I think Jokic certainly capable, and we've seen it, but he's much more of a going into tomorrow's game. You tell me he had an awful game. You tell me he had an awesome game. Both are equally as believable to me. I mean, he's just he's still developing his reputation in these types of moments. So last game, triple-double. Game before that, near triple-double, but an actual ugly game against Minnesota that I think was probably a down game for him. So he's still, I think, establishing that identity. Dan, what's how do teams beat Portland? Like, where are they most vulnerable? The Wings. And I think that's where Denver kind of poses this weird problem for them to solve because they have a ton of guys in that 6'6 to 6'10 range that are difficult for pulling the guard. Like Wilson Which Chandler. Just without Harkless. Yeah, so so I mean, you're talking about Wilson Chandler, Will Barton. Yeah. I mean, obviously Portland fans are familiar with, with Will, Will has been able to do right. and what he's done lately in Denver. So... For us, it's it's kind of this weird adjustment period of seeing like Will Barton in 2014-15 versus what he is now. Yeah. But I think it's almost expected that he's going to have that chip on his shoulder and show up and kind of be a thorn in Portland's side. Because Dan and CJ are better defensively this year. So on the on the like the true backcourt position, I'm not too worried. Now, if it's a Minnesota where it's a Butler Wiggins where right. they're going to play in the two, that's a real issue for them. And if Harris was playing, that's another issue because Harris can cause some issues for McCollum. Right. But the size at the wings positions, Turner, I, I, he's been better lately. Harkless is out, so you're going to get a steady diet of Pat Connaughton, who's only 6'5". Shabazz Napier, who's 5'11". That goofy dude goes off for three-pointers, man. I'm going to be so pissed in this game, Pat Connaughton. <laughs> he's the type of guy you hate to beat you, you know, especially if – the Pat Connington game, that's how Denver got eliminated. That would be painful. Um, yeah, so I, I you know, I, I hate to hear that. I think most Nuggets fans listening to this kind of think, like, oh, that's the weakness of the Nuggets because their strength is obviously Jokic and Millsap, and then their other strength is Harris, who's out, and Jamal Murray and Will Barton even. So they're guards and, and bigs, but the wings position, I think, they're maybe even a little bit weaker on. The other thing that gives me pause here is Portland's very good in the defensive glass. They they clean up the boards and Denver they gobble up rebounds. And Denver relies somewhat heavily. Now I think their offense has gotten more half court rhythm over the last two weeks, but they've relied very heavily on just being a good offensive rebounding team, and and that's one reason I think Portland gives them trouble. Uh, Dave, what's your prediction for tomorrow night? Denver's on a five game winning streak, but they are without Gary Harris. It's going to be such an emotional game, I think, for the players. Malone hates Nurkic and Nurkic hates Malone. I, I don't know this for a fact, but I feel pretty confident saying this, that those two guys do not like each other at all. So I know for Malone, he's going to have this like extra pressure on this game. What's your pick, Dave? Uh, you know, I, I think the Blazers, uh, you know, they played the Spurs in San Antonio the other night. It's a home game for Denver. Denver's been playing pretty well. Um, we've, we've talked about, I mean, pretty well is relative, right? They've won a few games and uh, like really had some season-saving plays right um against great competition but 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 right absolutely playoff teams and and, um but i I, you know i worry about the travel and then going to denver 
uh, at elevation and Dame's ankle. And, you know, uh, is that going to bug him? Um, but I, I still I think the Blazers are just a better team. I, I think they'll probably pull it out. Um, but if they don't, then they'll they're definitely winning Wednesday night against Utah. Dan, what are you thinking? I can't go this long in the podcast without saying his name. Nurkic. <laughs> I mean, it's Jokic has gotten the better of him once. Since when, when Dame won. wasn't there, by the way. Yeah. Because I think the thing is, I don't think Nurkic gives Jokic problems. The pick and roll gives Jokic problems. And exactly. And, and for the the analytics side of things, Dame assists on forty percent of Nurkic's buckets. <laughs> so I mean, he he's hand feeding him baskets. Yeah. But Nurkic really gets rolling in that pick and roll, and Jokic just doesn't have any chance. Now, Millsap hasn't been out there with Jokic against Nurkic, I don't think, but more than a few minutes. So that could definitely play a factor. How many minutes is but, he playing lately? Because Jokic is playing like 38, 39 minutes a game. Maybe four. Tomorrow night he might play 40. Nurk was down to about 20 oh, when wow. Stotts kind of doghoused him. Yeah. And gave some more to Collins. So Stotts has kind of reeled that back and come back on the responsibility falls on Nurkic's shoulder. So he's back up to 27, 28. If this gets close, because Denver's a little more traditional with the bigs, I could see Nurkic out there for 30, 32. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing both teams rely on is they both have great starting lineups. And really, Denver's had, I just looked it up, 22 starting lineups this season. Portland, 11. Denver has had 14 starting lineups that have played one game apiece. So they've had 14 different starting lineups that all played once and not ever again. Um, But the starters are almost no matter what are good because, quite frankly, any lineup with Jokic is good. And I think if Denver can survive tomorrow night and somehow find a way to steal in Minnesota, those are two huge ifs. If they get Gary Harris back, I actually become incredibly confident about a team that has been unhealthy the entire year, has a seven-game win streak going into the playoffs, and is adding arguably their third or second most important player. So let me ask you this one. If Denver does win seven games in a row to close out the season and gets Gary Harris back with a couple days to practice before uh, playoffs begin, which team would be more dangerous? I'll start with you, Dave. Portland or Denver? Uh, Portland. Damian Lillard, man, like – it's all about Dame, and that's that's the truth. I mean, this is a superstar-driven league, in particular in the playoffs. And Damian Lillard's shown us that he he shows up in the playoffs. The guy he puts up numbers. We've seen um, it and already can, before from him. That's right. You can win games with him, or he can win games on his own. So, I mean, I think that that's the known in, in this scenario. Um, for Denver, you know, it's this is this will be first playoff appearance for a lot of these dudes. And uh, it's a young team. And, and it honestly, it, it's one of those things where it's like it's an honor just to be nominated. Right. right? Yep, for this sure. is great. But honestly, even if they don't make the playoffs, which is still in play, but even if they don't, it, it's this was a good season, man. They have improved right. uh, every season since Malone has been the coach. It'd be a disappointment because they signed Millsap, but they were without him for most of the season. So um, I think they make if they make the playoffs, they're probably a first round out. Um, but with that being said, God, it's a huge step for this team. What do you think, Dan? Same thing? Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Well, we are in the same room next to each other, but we were kind of on the same wavelength here. Somebody asked me last week, you know, who scares me the most in the playoffs? And I was like, the, the team that I named off last was Denver, and it wasn't based on talent. Yeah. 
Denver has plenty of players. I just don't know what they'll do in the playoffs. Yeah. And on the podcast that, that we recorded earlier for, for Blazers Edge, the notion there, the hot take that I had was that the, that was going to be different was that playoff Nurkic would be a thing. For the Nuggets, they need playoff Jokic to be a thing. Right. Like that, that for them to have a good season would be making the playoffs, right? Right. A great season would be, even if they lost in the first round, playoff Jokic becoming a thing. Like right. him not being not big enough for the moment. And because that's a question, that's where I kind of fall like, Dame, Dame's big enough for the moment. If, if, if Jokic wins a playoff game with a Jokic 30-point tri- triple-double, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. that, that's kind of like it's your building block going forward. Right. Portland's another stage in that evolution. They know what they have in Dame. Like he's he's that guy. So they're hoping they can get that from Nurkic. CJ's been productive in the playoffs. He made his name in the playoffs when he came out after Wes's Achilles tear against the Grizzlies. So, I mean, you've got some guys on Portland, Aminu, Ed Davis, that, that are seasoned in that aspect. I mean, for Denver, you're what? It's Wilson and, and Millsap? Yeah. I mean, is there anybody – is there anybody beyond that that has the experience that even getting the playoffs, let alone being successful? Devin Harris. Devin Harris, yeah, but I mean, you're <laughs> not go. counting on it. You get down to there. No, I agree with you guys. I think Portland still would be the favorite. But I got to say, watching Denver over this last month, because it really has been when Millsap came back, they just fell off a cliff, and it took three weeks for them just to get a little bit of a footing. And to see how they've grown over this and to just think – the only thing missing from them right now, their defense has been good. The offense has been good but not great. The reason it hasn't been great is because all these wide-open kickouts are going to Devin Harris and Torrey Craig. If you make that Gary Harris, who's as automatic as it gets on an open one, I just think they go to a whole other level. Folks, thanks, so, guys, thanks so much for, for joining me for this preview. I, I'm not exactly excited for tomorrow's night's game. Uh, I'm anxious for it, but I'm not it's excited. It's big for Portland, too, though. Oh, I yeah. mean, that's the thing. Is like the, last year it was a revenge game. Right, I mean that's that's kind of how Portland was 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 selling it. It was big for them. This too, year, though. it's like it was, but it had a different tone. Yeah, I think they came in with the attitude like this is our game. Yeah. Now it's like okay, we need this for the three seed because we want the home court. You know, we want the better matchup in the second round, all that other stuff. Right, right. So there, there's a lot on the line. Well, thanks so much, guys, uh, for joining. I'll have their Twitter handles in the description of the show, so you can check them out. And I'll see everybody tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.